Well, that was the opening music to Time After Time, directed by Nicholas Meyer and starring Malcolm McDowell, David Warner, and Mary Steenburgen. And it's one of two movies that we're talking about today. The other one is Somewhere in Time, uh, directed by Jeannot Swark and written by Richard Matheson, who's an amazing author of many great screenplays and novels and short stories. And that one's starring Christopher Reeve, uh, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. Uh, but first up, we're going to talk about Time After Time. Uh, but before that, uh, we'll introduce ourselves. I'm, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from North Bend. And this is uh, Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and our double feature on time travel. Yeah, and yep, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. All right, so up first is H.G. Uh, Wells as a detective who's sort of impersonating Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yes, Herbert Wells. Yeah, played by Malcolm McDowell, and he's been in quite a few excellent movies, uh, Clockwork Orange being one that's pretty disturbing, if, you, if you've seen that movie. Um, but yeah, he, he was great as H.G., he uh, he uh, was dressed for uh, being smartly attired when he uh, traveled through time. He looked slightly out of place in San Francisco in the late 70s, but uh, he was able to pull it off with the help of Mary Steenberg and Amy Robbins, yeah. who took him under her wing. I, I, Malcolm uh, uh, McDowell has been such a, a, a long and successful actor. Remember him in The Cat People? Yeah. From yeah, 1982, was... and then recently in the 2019 film Bombshell, he played Rupert Murdoch. Oh, okay. And so he's he's forging ahead. His career has been really strong for a long time, and uh, I can't I can't forget to m mention David Warner, who plays John Leslie Stevenson, Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. One of his fate, one of the parts that he played that I really enjoy. He was Wallander's father in the TV series Wallander that was starring Kenneth Branagh. He played Wallander's dad, but he was he was in films for uh, I looked this up. Oh gosh, I lost my notes, but he he made hundreds of TV and movies, just always working. And just, wasn't he perfectly cast? Oh, he was so good. Yeah, he and he just oh. passed away. His favorite movie of mine is Tron where he plays the evil uh antagonist in that movie <laughs> this is a this is a fun fun trip down uh, time travel lane uh hg wells has invented that time that time machine which was a beautiful piece of artwork in the film i, I it was amazing and it, and it was kind of reminiscent of the uh, time machine with Rod Taylor back from the early 1960s. It had a bit of that look into it. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Well, uh, I thought the way they started the movie where he's, they're all getting together to have dinner and he's going to tell them about the time machine was right out of that movie from the 50s. 
except for the added uh, uh, Dr. Stevenson who had just shown up after murdering somebody. Yeah, that's true. That wasn't in the, the <laughs> that 50s movie. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I, I've always wondered when I when I watch this, and I, I, I remember seeing it uh, in the theater, how was Dr. Stevenson so adept at making that machine work when he had not seen it much in the past? He was very good at that. I think he was just super smart, like really intelligent. And he was able to fit into 1979 very easily. And actually, there's a great line where H.G. Uh, Wells is confronting uh, Jack the Ripper in his hotel room. And H.G. Wells says, well, we don't belong in this time. And, and Dr. John Leslie Stevenson, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper, says, no, no, you don't belong in this time. This is perfect for me. Like. The world has caught up with me and surpassed me. Ninety years ago, I was a freak. Today, I'm an amateur. You go back, Herbert. The future isn't what you thought. It's what I am. Do you know that you can go into a shop here and purchase a rifle or a revolver? It's perfectly legal. These people encourage... Stop it! catching isn't it violence actually it's even more violent than what i am because he's showing all these things on tv about different wars and killings and i thought that was a great little piece of social commentary in the movie it's excellent and very memorable i was thinking of the same scene when you started mentioning it yeah hg wells has kind of a naivete about the world and how things work and he thinks that the future a hundred years from when the movie starts will be a utopia and there'll be no hunger, no wars, nobody will need or want anything. And it's a great little setup for what happens in the movie because we're obviously watching it from that future time period and we know how things went. So, you know, it's like, well, I guess you're going to find out, H.G. Wells, that that's not how it works. I do like when he first arrives in 1979 and he's sort of like, we're seeing it through his eyes and how different it is from when, you know, his time. I, I like that whole little montage scene there. Oh, uh, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of the one where he's, he's going through San Francisco and there's an endless display of uh, bank signs. He's looking for a bank where he can exchange <laughs> his money. And it looks like the entire city is made up of banks. Yeah. And he's, he's just, he almost gets run over. Yeah. Nobody wants it, to it, talk to him because it, he's like no. <laughs> dressed oddly and he wants to know what city he's in, which is a weird question to ask, you know, somebody when you're in the city. <laughs> it is. There's a na naivete about him that, that he pulls off beautifully. I read where uh, he really wanted to do this part because he wanted to step away from the part he'd had as a lead and Caligula, mm. which is quite a different film. And boy, did he pull it off. Yeah, he's so sweet. He's And Mary Steenburgen is uh, like a bank teller, uh, or she's in charge of exchanging currencies at the bank. And H.G. Uh, Wells kind of figures out that he's got to find Jack the Ripper. And the best way to do that probably is to go to these different banks to see if anybody else that has been dressed like him has come in to exchange like this hundred year old money. And 
he goes to a lot of different banks and and finally the this british bank that you know he just feels right at home in because there's all these british flags and <laughs> he talks to mary steenbergen and 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 mary mary steenbergen's character amy is like oh yeah there was another guy here just before you not too long before you and and he's like aha so he gets on his trail uh and and mary Steenbergen does a great job. She looks so young in this movie. I think she was like 25, 26 in the film. But she she looks even younger than that to me. She she, she does. also does a great job of kind of playing off somebody who's a little bit naive in some ways. Um and she's she's a, a bit uh that same kind of personality. Mm-hmm. Very very simple and 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 open. And she loves his name, Herbert. Herbert, yeah. And thinks he's just so cute and wants to wants to see him again and it's just this cute little way that they get introduced and and it turns into a a love story which i thought was a nice connection to the other movie we talked about we're going to talk about uh somewhere in time which is also a love story uh yeah i had forgotten uh, uh the love story part of this film and how it turns out uh in terms of their time travel together uh, but I was, uh, I, I love the part of the police because here Herbert Wells goes in and, and uh, tries to explain <laughs> what's going on. It's like the uh, police captain or detective is just incredulous, you know, so he's, oh, so you're Sherlock Holmes, huh? And he goes on and on. <laughs> Finally, I mean, after I don't know how many scenes of, of, death and destruction the police finally get on board with it but boy they were they were not i can understand that though if you're the police detective and this guy comes in i'm sherlock holmes i'm looking for jack the ripper yeah i mean he sounds completely insane yeah and he doesn't have any of the context of like how famous sherlock holmes is and how famous jack the ripper became and so he just he sounds like he needs some help uh, but the police really just don't. Escaped. Yeah, yeah. The police really don't help uh, at all. I mean, they do eventually believe him that he's not. Well, that he's not the the murderer because at first they kind of think, well, he seems to know a lot about these murders. How is that possible? He must. He must yeah. be the murderer. Um, but I, I I like that. Another scene that I like is when he tells amy where hg wells tells amy that he's actually hg wells and he has a time machine and she's just throws up her hands and walks off and is like i don't want to talk to you anymore i knew this was too good to be true you're crazy but he lets he he must have been totally flummoxed i mean nobody (laughs) believes him he's trying to find this guy who's a brutal murderer and they think he's crazy yeah oh that's a part of the, the the beauty of the film. You really get into his his uh, dilemma. I, I uh, the, the plot twist though, where the police don't don't believe him for a long period of time. That's a very common theme in a lot of movies. I can remember mm-hmm. so many science fiction movies where the hero is trying to get the story out, and the police don't believe him, or the, the authorities don't believe him. We've even reviewed some of those and commented on it, like you know. Why aren't they? Why aren't they on board with this guy? That that was my only part of the movie that I got a little bit 
sort of bored with or impatient with was when he just keeps trying to tell them over and over again, you know, what's going on, and they just keep dismissing him. And you can kind of see why they do dismiss him. And at the same time, why not... Why not just go check out his story? They do eventually check out his story, but it's too late, and Jack the Ripper has struck again. Um, but I, I kept thinking, is there would there have been a different way to write that? To because because they needed a, a way to separate H.G. Wells and Amy. H.G. Wells proves to Amy that he's actually telling the truth by taking her like two days into the future, and they see this newspaper. And she's like amazed, like, oh my gosh, he's telling the truth. And then she flips over to the second half of the front page and there's her picture. And the, the, the headline is that she's been murdered. And I thought that was yeah. such a great, such a great little twist in the film. And then it's sort of like, well, what do you do now? And, you know, they, they set it up so that they're going to just run away and not be at the apartment and just prevent that whole situation from happening. But then he decides he's going to go off and buy a gun, which he's totally opposed to doing. And she's mm -hmm. going to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's your plan? You know, you, you, you're not doing a great job here. So it, uh, it even gets a little more bizarre when he tries to drive. Yeah. Because he wants to, he wants to save that one. He wants to catch up with the the doctor, and and uh, I think I think he uh, he finally gets it figured out. But the scenes of him driving were uh, were sort of a <laughs> unusual to say yeah. the least. Yeah, kind of terrifying because he he doesn't know how to drive. I thought that was kind of fun though, because like as an adult, if you've never driven before. And all you've seen is somebody drive. Could could you do it? You know, like it was. It'd be a challenge. Like, could I figure this out? <laughs> he he the, does. Uh, the the film itself is directed by uh, Nicholas Meyer, and one of my favorite films is uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, which is I think playing in theaters this coming weekend. And he directed that. Yeah, he's and he's then good. he directed Star Trek Four, and. Uh, he did a lot of uh, television shows. Do you, do you remember the movie, uh, the television movie on ABC back in the eighties, the day after? Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. was the result of the nuclear war. He directed that in nineteen eighty three. Quite a prolific career. That movie like scarred me for for years. Like that oh, was so scary. Me too. I can't believe they put that on. Realistic. Yeah, I can't believe they put that. I digress. On. Yeah. He's a good director. He is. He's very good. So, yeah, it's kind of... So, in summary, I'd say that this is a fun time travel movie. Uh, Malcolm McDowell does a really excellent job of portraying that character and, and sort of the wide-eyed naivete of somebody from 100 years ago just showing up in 1979 and trying to figure stuff out. At the same time, trying to track down Jack the Ripper... And David Warner was just so menacing and scary as that character did a great job. And I, I really liked... did. And one of the final scenes, is, this may be a spoiler alert, but he sort of gives an eye signal to uh, Herbert Wells that it's okay to send him off into the space, wherever that would be. Remember that scene of just when they're in the museum and he 
he gets in the time machine and he's about to take off, but he he uh, sort of lets uh, Wells know that it's okay to let him dissolve or whatever, disintegrate. Yeah, what did you what did you think about that? I was I was so confused by that because up until that point he'd been so adamant about wanting to get that key to the time machine and then just I suppose just travel throughout time murdering women was his plan. I think he realized that he was uh, insane and, and that he had done enough damage and maybe he wanted to end it. Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe maybe seeing how much H.G. Wells cared for Amy and how he was willing to do so much to try to save her uh, maybe moved him or like kind of helped him see things from a different way. Because he, he just seemed like he didn't understand that at all. Like, he just didn't get why somebody would be so in love with somebody else. And, that, that yeah, that whole ending scene was pretty interesting to watch. It was it left some questions in my mind, though. Like, where did he go? And, you know, could there be a sequel to this movie? And where did Amy and H.G. Wells go? Did they go back to his time? Did they go some other time? I have Well, that one, didn't they go in the machine back in time and... Wasn't there a kind of an ending photo oh, of the two of them? That's true. And they'd live their life together? Yeah. But did they do anything in between 1979 and when they went back? I'd love to see like a, a sequel to this. Every time I watch a time travel movie, it has it raises in my mind all these questions like that. Yeah, because I'm trying to figure out if that's possible to do. And I don't think they're plot holes. It's just... It's just such a different approach. Yeah, time travel paradox. There was yes. one. There was one thing that I thought was kind of a false note for me, which was, um, so Amy is back at work, and H.G. Wells is back at her apartment, and then Doctor Stevenson shows up at the bank wanting to exchange more money, and Amy kind of freaks out and. and calls H.G. Wells and says, what do I do? What do I do? And, and he's like, well, just stay calm. He doesn't, he's not going to do anything to you there. You know, you're safe. And then she comes back to her desk and they're just having a little chit chat. And, and, and she says, well, were you able to get a room at the Hyatt Regency or, you know, and, and then he gets this look on his face, like, well, how did you know about the room at the Hyatt Regency? And, and he kind of figures out that H.G. Wells and her have been talking Herbert, Herbert, it's me. Listen, Herbert, he's here. Amy? Who, who is? What do you mean, who? Who do you think? What? He's right at my desk with the money belt. He wants to change more sovereigns. Herbert, what do I do? I'm terrified. Amy, Amy, look, be calm. It's perfectly all right. You're in the middle of a bank. He's mad, but he's not stupid. Now, nothing's going to happen to you. Now, uh, listen, can you keep him there? What? I know it's a lot to ask, but try. Just until I get there. I'm on my way right now. I'll try. What, what, what did you say? I said I'll try. Uh, 
sorry about that. I was just checking to see what the exchange rates are this morning. You know, they fluctuate every day. I wouldn't want you to get gypped. Are you enjoying your stay in San Francisco? Very much. It's wonderful, wonderful. Did they find room for you at the Hyatt Regency? Yes, thanks to you. I've... You wouldn't happen to know a man called Wells, would you? I thought so. Miss Amy Robbins. He asked you to detain me until he could get here, is that right? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. I don't think I'll conduct my business here anymore if it's all the same to you. One other item. Be good enough to leave a message for Mr. Wells from me. Tell him I want that key. Tell him to leave it for me at the exhibit. Leave the key or face the consequences. Have you got that? Yes, I believe you have. But that doesn't make sense to me because Amy was the one who suggested he go to the Hyatt Regency so it would make sense that she would ask him, like, did you get a, were you able to get a room? Like, it, to me, that, ah, wouldn't, yeah. that wouldn't be a tip-off to Dr. Stevenson that she had talked to H.G. Wells because she's the one who told him to go there, so. Good point, good point. But they needed, they needed a way to get it so that David, or that, that uh, Dr. Stevenson would start to go after Amy, you know, that was kind of the turning yeah. point where he's got to take her out because he knows that she knows where he is, where H.G. Wells is. It's very convoluted at some parts. But <laughs> <laughs> well, time travel shows films are always, in my mind, convoluted anyway Yeah. To make it to make it work. I mean, we've seen many of them over the years. I, uh, I gave the film a seven. Uh, I, I like the premise of it. I like. I love that machine. That was a beautiful piece of work, and the characters were enjoyable. It was. It was quite a fun, quite a fun time. Yeah, I like the machine too. I was curious as to why it had like a rotating satellite dish on the top of it because there wouldn't have been any satellites in the 1800s. <laughs> I wasn't sure what that was for, but it looked cool. Uh, I guess I, I shouldn't say it was a fun trip. It was exciting. Yeah, it was That's exciting. A word. It it held up well. Like I, I I remember seeing it in the theater and and being entertained and and it, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I I gave it an eight. I thought it was a little bit better than a seven. It had a few little plot holes in it, uh, but overall, I really liked the performances of the three main characters, and I thought the premise was was really great. So. So yeah, that's our review of uh, Time After Time. And up next, just I think a year later. Almost to the month. A yeah. year. It came out in October of 1980. Is another time travel movie, but it's a completely different premise here. Uh, this is Somewhere in Time.
it stars Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. And this was based on a book written by Richard Matheson, who then wrote the screenplay. And uh, I was reading that Christopher Reeve's agent didn't want him to do this movie because they weren't offering him enough money. Uh, but then somehow they got the screenplay to Christopher Reeves kind of around his agent, and, and which I thought was pretty sneaky. And then Christopher Reeves like, yeah, I want to do this movie. You know, this is a, I don't want, because his other option at the time, I think, was some kind of a Viking movie, and he didn't want to do that one. So he was coming off the success of uh, Superman in, in this movie. Yeah, I imagine he wanted to sort of change the pace and the course of his acting career. This movie would certainly do that. It, it, what's, this, this is one of my favorite movies. I, I have to say that up front. Nancy and I watched it about two months ago. Uh, I forget what it might have been on Turner Classic Movies or we may have just streamed it. And I'm sitting there about halfway through the movie, and that music is, mm -hmm. is incredibly beautiful. When they reconnect and meet. Is it you? Is it? Yes. Are you all right? Yes, he's quite all right. I'm sorry if I startled you. No, you didn't startle me. I think I did. And he's on the balcony of the hotel, and she comes around the corner, and I'm I'm crying, and Nancy's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I just, I cannot watch this film without getting uh, teared up. Oh, it's such a great love story. Because of the beauty of the love story. Yeah. And I said to her, that's the story of us. Oh, that's nice, yeah. It took a long time for us to find each other. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I'll tell you right up front, it's going to be near the top of the rating scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and Christopher Plummer. So I, I decided I'd, I'd do down, i do a, a kind of a detailed look at his career. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what, a, what a phenomenal actor and, and uh, talent. He did 119 films. 17 stage plays, 71 TV series, and he's a voice and appears in four video games. <laughs> and his career lasted from, uh, he was born in 1929, so it lasted from about the 1940s up until when he died, and uh, just before he died in 2021, I think. Uh, he was, he, uh, remember him in Sound of Music? I mean, his films, there's yeah. so many of them. It, yeah. So that was wonderful in 1965. Then he did, he played Leo Tolstoy in The Last Station in 2009. Anyway, he adds to the film in a, in a smallish part, but uh, he, he does, he's an excellent actor. Yeah, he's, he's great. And I, I actually really liked his character. I mean, I liked, I, I don't know if I'd say I liked his character. I liked how he portrayed the character. And you could kind of see... <clears throat> his motivations for the way that he was. And one of the sort of subplots of the movie is that uh, Elise McKenna has kind of grown up under his 
shadow and his tutelage and you know in in the film she must be you know early to mid 20s i would say and she's wanting to break out and be her own person and he doesn't want her to and he wants to just have control over her and her career and i think you know when richard collier shows up it's a it's an opportunity for her to exert herself and there's there's like an instant connection between the two of them when they see each other for the first time when he goes back in time and and they they're just staring at each other it's like it's that feel you know it must be that feeling of finding that person you know the opening of the of the movie where uh christopher reeves uh richard collier has this been has been successful and they're having a big party to celebrate and this elderly woman kind of walks through the crowd and comes up to him and gives him this beautiful watch, this beautiful pocket watch, and says, come back to me. Come back to me. Who was she? What a mystery. Yeah. And it just walks off. That's it. <laughs> then she disappears. And uh, through a whole lot of different storylines, he finally figures out a way to who she is and how to go back to her. It's It's weird, though, because he doesn't doesn't like research her or or try to find out who she was because eight years goes by between that opening scene and then That's he's true, sort yeah. of reached some point in his life where he's not very happy he wants to just go drive off into the country and spend some time alone and just happens to drive by this old hotel Oh, and, that's true. Yeah, I, I kind of skipped over that. The whole the whole film is filmed in Chicago and at the on Merrimack Island yeah. at that beautiful hotel, which today is as beautiful as it was in the film. I, I looked it up and I thought, oh, I need to go there. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> and then he, he wanders through the hotel and he meets the uh, the uh, employee who's been there his entire mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and grew up there. And then Arthur. he goes into that the museum of history of the of the place. And there's a miss. There's a, there's a picture of this this beautiful woman, but her name is missing. Yeah. He sort of walks and uh, works his way into this, and he he kind of falls in love with the photo. And and he still doesn't know that that that's the woman from eight years ago. I don't think. You're um, right. Yeah, he, he does he, not. I, but he becomes obsessed with her though, and and goes to the library and does all this research and finds a magazine with a photo of Elise as an older woman. And then he makes the connection of like, oh, this is the woman who gave me the watch. And then and then he really becomes obsessed yeah. about wanting to to try to to uh, well go back in time and and meet her, which is which is such a weird plot twist in the movie but it, it totally works like i believe it his next step is he sh- goes to the university and meets up with the professor mm-hmm. who who uh 
talks to him about time travel and what it takes and how it affected him. I think he said he was in Vienna. Yeah, in the 1500s. Yeah, and he, he was able to do a, a momentary travel in time. And now Christopher Reeves is really on board with this, which he does a really excellent job of, I think, showing the audience uh, his obsession mm -hmm. with having this happen. And he goes back to the hotel. And, oh, no, he gets, he gets the whole bunch of clothing and, and things to go back in time. Money from 1912. And the, yeah. And he, part of the trick is that he's got to create the right environment. So he removes everything that would be from the 20th century from his hotel room. And he gets dressed up in period pieces and is trying to hypnotize himself to be able to go back in time and it, it it's it's kind of hinted at that maybe this is not a good idea because the professor says that he was only back in the 1500s for a few moments and it terrified him and he would never try to do it again <clears throat> you yeah. know and and here Christopher Reeve is not only trying to do it again but trying to go back I guess permanently like he permanently. He, wants, he wants to live back in the 19 early 1900s and and he does everything possible in his hotel room at this beautiful hotel on the island to hide and put everything away that has anything to do with the current time. And he thinks he's been successful at that. But he's still but, using yes. that he, he's still using that recorder, the, the tape recorder, and that's obviously not from nineteen twelve. And he finally he, he finally makes the connection that he did go back in time because he was rummaging through all this old material in the attic of the hotel, and he finds a guest book from 1912, and he finds his name, yes. his signature in the guest book, and he says, I did it. I know, I, I know now that I can do this. So now he's convinced that he can do it, and he realizes what's holding him back is this tape recorder because it's not from that time period. So he, he doesn't use that. He just he just talks himself into it, and that whole like time travel scene where he 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 goes from the current time to the 1912 was was really well done to see how the room decorations changed and just how people acted differently and and again we get that sort of little montage of him being kind of wonderstruck <laughs> by by the fact that he was successful in his time travel. He's wandering oh, around the hotel. I, I'm totally, I totally buy into it when I'm watching the film. Oh, me too. Yeah. And it's funny when he, he finally reaches back in time and, and, and uh, shows up in the room that he was in, and there are two people in there <laughs> that he has to hide from. Yeah. This woman is running around in her underwear and getting ready to go out with her, I guess her husband or her husband. And they have a little bickering back and forth, and Reeve is sure he's going to get caught. Yep, <laughs> he has to hide. Yep, yep. And 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 then he he does get he does get out, and then he's he's looking for Elise, and he keeps rehearsing what he's going to say to her over and over again, and he's so nervous. He does a great job. He's such a good actor. He's so good. yeah. He's, he, he is. He, it's such a tragedy that he that he had that terrible accident, horse riding and horseback riding, and died at the age of fifty-two because yeah. 
he would have had such a marvelous career. Oh, he, and, he and would he, have. He, he finally... He finally sees her way. She's kind of moving, almost like a, a an image in mm-hmm. the for in the film, down this walkway, and he sees her, and and it's beautiful how the director moves the camera. He gets closer and closer, and and finally they their eyes meet, and it's such a touching and beautiful scene, because I think she recognizes that he has come back. I do too. He's come back. And then the two of them together, is there a more beautiful couple ever in the, in the oh in, in history of film? Yeah. Oh, and my what, word. What makes it even more special is that apparently they really fell in love during the making of this movie. And they, I mean, the, what you're seeing on the screen is not even really acting. It's like that's how they felt about each other. Yeah, there's, the chemistry is, is unbelievable. It's so beautiful. What I, what I loved, though, when they met was not only the fact that they just locked eyes and it was like you could feel that energy, but then all he just all the practice that he did about what he was going to say to her just went right out the window. And it was like they <laughs> it's like it was so natural, you know, it was just so easy for them to talk. And I, I just love that he was so nervous about it. But then when it actually happened, it was like, oh, it's you like I don't have to be so nervous, you know. I love that. It, the, that whole scene is just beautifully done. And and uh, Christopher Plummer, William Robinson, sort of intercedes and tries to keep her away from him. Anything the matter? Who was that young man? I've no idea. Gave no name? It was hardly time. You were conversing, Kenneth. No. Well, not really. No, no need to look back. He's following us. Uh, keep on walking. I'll be right along. guest here, sir. You're Robinson. Are you a guest of the hotel? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Then I must ask you to stop annoying Miss McKenna any further. If you do not, I shall see that you're put out. What did you say to him? Oh, what I've always said to men of his sort. There is a series of scenes between him and Christopher Reeve. Uh, where what I liked about it is that it's very direct. There's no beating around the bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Reeve says, "I'm here to, you know, I'm in love with her, and you can't really." I don't. I'm paraphrasing a lot of different things here, but he doesn't. He doesn't try to. Uh, say the wrong things or, or, or come up with a story. Just say, I'm, I'm here. I've traveled to meet her and she, I love her and we're going to be together. He's very earnest about it. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't the, yeah, try to fight him. He doesn't try missing. to argue with him. He, and, you know, from Christopher Plummer's character's perspective, I think he is worried that, that, that 
weirdos are just going to come out of the wood, woodwork and try yeah. to, to, to be with Elise, and he wants to protect her from that. And it takes almost the whole movie for for his character to come around and realize that, no, Richard Collier is actually a good guy, and, and they do belong together. And he has that moment of, I think, realization near the end of the movie. Um, but it's kind of too late for for him to save his relationship with Elise. You know, Elise is like, I'm, I'm kind of done with you. The, uh, the other scene that I really like is when she's on the stage performing. Oh, geez. And right in the middle of that, she just does a completely spontaneous uh, part of the film talking directly to Christopher Reeve's character about how much she loved him. That, that's just magical. good at all. Particularly bad. I'll not go downstairs again. Oh, what is it, miss? I've just been dining with a man my father is determined that I wed. Ooh, Banker Harwell. Banker Harwell, yes. All 67 years and five foot four of height and several hundred pounds of him. <laughs> he does have money, though, miss. And never lets a soul forget it. I'm amazed he has the least desire to marry. He's so happily wedded to his gold. Yeah, perhaps it won't be all that bad, miss. There must be something you like about him. Yes, his absence. <laughs> the man of my dreams has almost faded now. And what man is that, miss? The one I have created in my mind. The sort of man each woman dreams of in the deepest and most secret reaches of her heart. I can almost see him now before me. What would I say to him? If he were really here, forgive me. I've never known this feeling. I've lived without it all my life. Is it any wonder then I failed to recognize you? You brought it to me for the first time. Is there any way that tell you how my life has changed. Anyway at all to let you know what sweetness you have given me. There is so much to say. I cannot find the words except for these. I love you. would I say to him if he were really here and nobody else in the place is understanding what, what is going on here and then she comes back to the play and segues back to the part that was incredible I felt it's like it's such a beautiful fantasy 
it was just like the one of those moments in movies where you're just so mesmerized by what's happening and and you can feel that again you can feel that energy between the two of them and it's like it's they're the only two people in the whole room even though it's a completely full yeah. theater yeah i love that uh, the backdrop to this whole film is the music mm -hmm. both the music of john barry and the piano of uh, of roger williams and then uh, Mananos rhapsody on a theme from from another source it's just incredibly beautiful i've listened to that part of the the music many times on my uh here at home it's just it brings back memories yeah i read another story that um somebody had mentioned to the director that well we should see if john barry can do the the music and and the director was like, well, I don't, I, I don't have money to pay for that. <laughs> we don't have that much budget. <laughs> and I think it was Jane Seymour said, well, he's actually a friend of mine. Let me see what I can do. And uh, John Barry read the script and was like, oh, yeah, I, I want to do the music for this. So they were able to work it out. But, yeah, the music, the location, the costumes, <clears throat> the, the strength of the performance of Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour and Christopher Plummer, just... Oh, just such a magical movie. The uh, there's one scene where we find Christopher Reeve tied up in the stable. That it, that must have been the worst tying up job ever done by uh, <laughs> Mr. Plummer or his cohorts, because it wasn't hard for him to get out of that. So, uh, that, I don't think I don't think uh, Plummer was too. Uh, focused on really hurting the guy just keeping him away from her i think he but just wanted to work. keep her keep him out of the way until they left yeah 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 but uh, on the set i guess the director because both christopher and christopher so he would refer to mr christopher Plummer as mr Plummer, and then he gave the nickname to christopher rivas to as bigfoot we would call him Bigfoot. <laughs> He's a big guy. <laughs> to break the tension. Mr. Plummer and Bigfoot. I read that somewhere in my uh, deep dive into this into this film. And Jane Jane Seymour. Uh, Nancy was telling me that uh, she she uh, met her just briefly at the medical center here when she was there to visit a sick friend. I forget who it was. And she said she's even more beautiful in person. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She was so beautiful in this movie you know one of my favorite scenes is when when christopher reeve first sees that photo of elise in the little hall of history and then later in the movie backstage in between scenes of the play we see that that photo being taken oh and, yes and then yes. elise looks yeah. over and sees uh richard richard and that's the photo that's in the hall of history and it's like she's looking at him through time in that photo i just love that it gives a whole new meaning to deja vu <laughs> yeah. wow i tell you and 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 then the ending to this movie though oh my gosh it's, it's i know wow oh so sad well it, they're together and they're having this picnic in the room and what does he find in this vest pocket a penny yeah was it a penny from 1979 a or penny, a dime a penny and the whole thing changes it's like it completely oh yeah it, it, like 
breaks the spell or, or whatever, the time travel spell, and then he finds himself back in 1970 or 1980. And um, she disappears slowly into this abyss of blackness. And, and he, he just wills himself to not eat, and he just sits in his room for a week. Yeah, I think he's just brokenhearted. I want to be everything to you. You are. You are. Tell me more about yourself, my love. Well, What I was sort born of plays in... do you write? Um, are there any parts in it for me? I could. Oh, I would love to act in one of your plays. Assuming that I ever want to act again after tonight. You will. Oh, Richard. <clears throat> good place. What? All right, good place. <laughs> Never let you answer, did I? No. Sorry. What time do you think it is? I don't know. I don't care. I love you. I don't look. Five o'clock. Really? I don't feel sleepy somehow, do you? No. The first thing I intend to do for you... You've already done. Well, the second thing, then. What? Buy you a new suit. I don't understand. Nobody seems to like my suit. Well, can you blame them? Well, wait a minute. I think my suit is terrific. I mean, what's wrong with this? I don't care. So what if it's ten years old? Or at least fifteen. Fifteen? Mm-hmm. Well... I think it's fabulous. Look, machine. It's really great. See the first class condition. The sleeves fit. It's pretty good because my arms are about nine feet long. And I've got pockets everywhere. I could pull rabbits out of here. Oh yeah, this is the best part. This is a special coin compartment for emergency. Richard. He tries to get he tries to get back in time, but he can't do it again. Yeah. And you know, I, I wondered what what that looked like for her, because I wonder if he just sort of like also disappeared into like a black hole or something, you know, and, and then she spent her life wondering what happened to him and trying I to know. find him, you know, and she she couldn't find him until much later because he didn't even he wasn't even born <laughs> until <laughs> I you know. know. Decades I, later, they've uh, that the gentleman that was that worked at the hotel, I think, finally finds that he hasn't shown up for a week, and they break down the door or get into the. I guess he opens the door, and the doctor tries his best to revive him, and it's just not possible. Yeah, that and transfer. It's, it's so sad, and then the ending. Wow. Well, I, I heard that the ending kind of inspired the ending of Titanic a little bit. Uh, oh. Because there's some similarities there uh, of the very end. Um, but, I, you know, that, that physical transformation of Christopher Reeve from the first scene when he's a college student, he looks so young and energetic and <clears throat> hopeful and excited to that last scene of the movie. It's like, wow, what a, what a journey he went on, you know. 
I know. Well, I uh, every time I watch it, I just I I cry. It's it means a lot. I give it a ten <laughs> or higher if we could go higher. Yeah, yeah, ten plus. Just yeah. the music, the story, the fantasy, the the depth of love. Yeah. Oh, I give it a 10 as well for all those reasons. And it's just one of those movies that sticks in my mind that I think about every once in a while. And and uh, it was really nice to watch it again. I hadn't seen it for a while. I hadn't either. Well, until a couple of months ago, we watched it. And since then, I've watched it two more times. I'm going to take a break from watching it for a while. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, I read something interesting about it. This movie has an international fan club, and the club wrote like a 2,500-page document just documenting every little nuance and detail of this movie. And it it was speculated that this might be the most documented movie in history because of this oh fan club. And it's it's got a huge following around the world. It it didn't do well financially in the United States, but it, it was the highest grossing movie in China uh, and, and continues to be one of the highest grossing movies in China. And I think it's done better over time, but it, it was sort of the Titanic of its time in China at, when it came out. Oh, it was my, like I a didn't huge know hit. Wow, I'm going to have to do more research. Yeah. I'm going to watch it less and research it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll have fewer crying spells and... It's uh, I you know it's it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Well, for some reason, these two movies kind of stick together in my mind because they came out close to each other in time, like nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty. And I feel like there was this real like interest in in time travel movies around that time. Remember the movie Time Bandits? <laughs> yeah, Time Bats and Pandas, and then there was one, I think it was called the Time Cop or something time like that. Time Cop, yeah. He was traveling back to stop a murder. Yeah. And it all kind of all started with the time machine. Oh, so. yeah, it's a good movie. All uh, right. And the, and the music. It's, I think to me this is the best matching of music to story that you could find. Oh, it's definitely up there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and just and and music to the scenes and just the whole sets and the costumes and everything it just looks so magical anyway all right well that was our review of somewhere in time and uh, time after time and coming to you from North Bend this is Matt and this is uh, Bob in uh, Los Angeles wishing everybody happy movie watching all right
good movie. Definitely. I'm, I'm going to be watching it again. Honestly, I was sitting on the couch. We were sitting watching the movie, and I just I was bawling when they got together. Nancy said, "What is the matter with you?" You mean the, the <laughs> ending when they when they saw each other at the end? No, when uh, he he comes back and he's up on the balcony oh, okay. or the yeah. patio, and she comes around the corner, and they 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 reunite. And and I I said to Nancy, "That's how I feel about how we met." Oh, it took a long time. Yeah, but to you get found together. each other. Yeah. So it's got a lot of meaning for me beyond just the film and the beautiful music.